Europe's energy crisis in a time of war. Interview with Sam Rajowski, episode 62. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. This week, we speak with Sam Rajowski, a senior lecturer and program director for the Oil and Gas Management Program at the University of East London Royal Docks Business School. Sam has published widely on energy security and particularly about security in the European gas sector. He regularly appears on a range of international media outlets, and this week we are fortunate enough to have him on our podcast. The interview took place in early April before Russia cut off the flow of gas to Poland and Bulgaria. Nonetheless, in the intervening weeks, we can see that Sam's analysis still holds water and is even more spot on as the European Union and the countries in the EU are rapidly shifting away from Russian oil and gas and coal. In exchange for the interview, I was a guest speaker at, at Sam's class. A great deal, I think, and I'll do that with others. Just drop me a line. But what struck me both in the discussions and in the class, and of course in this interview, was his awareness of the constraints and policy options Europe has. I appreciate his emphasis on diversifying energy sources, not just diversifying gas supply routes. An important takeaway Sam arrives at is the role of nuclear power. What is clear and is reflected throughout our discussion is the economic necessity of rebuilding a more robust energy system that is less dependent on imports into Europe. The interview is valuable both in how Sam frames energy security, but also to how to fix the current security of supply failures that are dominating and restricting Europe's energy market. Just a final note here, this interview was done for my current work at Chatham House that is assessing both the history of European gas relations, but also how to frame or reframe the concept of energy security in our present circumstances. The final report will be out at the end of May. And since I have listeners in the United States, I'll just add that I'll be in Washington, D.C. at the end of June. So if you have a suggestion of where I could present the report, please drop me a message in LinkedIn or by email. I'll leave the email in the show notes. And for that matter, any suggestions for future guests, I'm definitely open to those. So drop me a message as well. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now for this week's episode. Okay, okay here we go. Um, I'm here today with Sam Rush. Wait, <laughs> I have to redo this. The Polish name. Sam Rushowski. Yes, okay. Uh, he's a senior lecturer at the Royal Dock School of Business and Law, University of East London, in the oil and gas management well, unit or department. Is that right? Well, yes, it's oil and gas management MSc program. Okay, excellent. And Sam, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. This is a podcast slash research interview. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for having me, and thank you for coming over all the way uh, to from 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 Hungary. From sorry, from from uh, Austria. Uh, well, to... no, I'm still in Hungary. You oh, know. you're still uh, in Hungary. Yeah, I'm still. Welcome to London. I'm I'm a Hungarian citizen now. So. Yes, I know. Congratulations. So, and and you're Polish. Yes, and I am. And so we are two East Europeans. We are two Eastern Europeans, yes. In London. <laughs> As it happens. As it happens, yes. So so uh, you got in before Brexit, and, and unfortunately I can't get in now. So, yeah, yeah. 
You did. You just have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, a few months here. A few months here. So, Sam, okay, the reason I wanted to have this, this uh, interview, and by the way, I've been trying to track you down for this interview for, like, years now. That's, that's too kind of you. <laughs> so, but now we're at this really interesting time in history, and maybe and your specialization along with the legal framework and oil and gas law is also about energy security as well. And this is always integrated in your work. So I just want to start off with some basic questions. And this also ties into the research I'm doing, trying to make sense of how the policy environment has shifted in the EU now that Russian oil, gas, coal is, a, you know, basically the EU is trying to cut it off and embargoes on it and other countries not buying it. So um, so my first question is very basic, is what is energy security? <laughs> Thank you so much for this question. And uh, well, uh, I mean, there is there's a obviously classical definition of energy security, the one that we got used to uh, probably more than a decade ago when energy security was, was very much discussed uh, because of, of, of natural gas, because of uh, uh, the role of Russia uh, uh, in supply of natural gas to European Union. And actually quite a lot we know about energy security in the European context is actually uh, to do with natural gas. Uh, I mean, in the US, energy security often was associated with oil and dependence on oil and the Middle East. But actually, here in Europe, the focus for over a decade, well over a decade, has been on natural gas. Um, this is because of um, the challenge uh, of uh, supplies, uh, which, which, as we know, you know, the country uh, you coming from, Hungary, is actually very dependent on uh, natural gas supplies, uh, as well as the EU overall. But energy security uh, is it can be understood both uh, from the short-term perspective and long-term perspective. So short-term perspective is essentially ability to um, to weather the storm. You know, if you look at um, OECD countries or NATO countries, uh, we understand the short-term uh, security of supply or energy security as ability to uh, to sort of function uh, economically, uh, societally, politically within sort of three, up to three months. Uh, but we also understand that energy security is, is also um, a concept that uh, uh, that could be a strategy. You know, how to be secure. Uh, in terms of energy supplies, and uh, we, uh, we 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 can actually understand energy security as ability to have a diversified supply. I would say so. If, to me, to my mind, energy security as a strategy is to to ensure that you do not rely on uh, single sup suppliers or just a handful of suppliers. You have all sorts of options on the tables, and not just in terms of natural gas. You also have a diversified supply of various energies, not just you know hydrocarbons, but increasingly um, uh, new energies. So, so uh, and obviously, conventionally, it's also uh, about making sure that uh, you know it makes economic sense that is it's you know it's market based although these days i'm not sure to what extent this holds truth it's secure and it's environmentally sound then again i'm not sure to what extent this is the priority at the moment at this very moment at this very moment it seems that we are sort of back to to 2000s aren't we and security of supply is really what 
me what energy security is about at but this very moment short term moment can can you can you reflect back on what happened in the 2000s and why, why well in 2000s as uh, anyone who has been following uh, um, uh, if you like energy policy scene of the european union um, uh, knows that um, uh, year by year uh, uh, there's the the, you, the 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 trade block of of european union uh, was uh, was becoming more and more dependent on supplies, and largely because a of uh, uh, dwindling domestic supply. So back in the day, uh, there used to be substantial uh, supply uh, available domestically from from producers in, in in the Netherlands, in Denmark, you know, in Britain. Uh, but this has changed, and uh, largely to do with the economic development, greater uh, energy needs, uh, and increasingly it was uh, uh, it was uh, uh, su more supplies started to come from uh, from uh, from outside of the European Union. So if you look at the European Union as a, uh, as, a, as, a as an international organization, quite a lot of what European Union has done externally has been both about energy and environment. So, so quite a lot uh, in, in its legislation, quite a lot in, in, in its uh, external uh, actions has been about energy and uh, as how to deal with uh, this, this challenge of, of energy supply. And, you know, obviously there, there were some uh, milestones, if you like, and those milestones involved back in 2000s um, uh, disputes, pricing disputes between uh, respective uh, uh, natural gas companies of, 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 of Russia and uh, Ukraine. Uh, we remember that quite well in late 2000s. And this uh, was at the time, in a sense, a wake-up call for many nations, We, you know, particularly in Eastern Europe, in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, there were voices that, you know, there has to be, something has to be done about the structured dependence on supplies. Uh, but this issue was kind of, you know, swept under the carpet and never dealt with because, um, well, there were, the, the priority was to ensure security of supply. So coming back to the very question you asked me about energy security, cheap supplies from the East were more important than sort of dealing with, uh, uh, with, with, uh, with, with, the, with, with energy security as such. So I have a question there, though, because then it's almost in two different interpretations of security of mm. supply. It would depend on the location of the country. Mm. Is this what you mean by this? Where the, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And this is the point. This is kind of, one of the biggest achievements of uh, European Union uh, has been ability to uh, legislate um, energy, you know, through, um, uh, through, um, uh, through three consecutive uh, uh, markets uh, uh, focused uh, uh, legislations to, to basically uh, bring even playing fields in energy. But at the same time, uh, one of the greatest challenges for the European Union was to have a single voice in energy. If you look at European Union countries, uh, there's quite uh, a huge gap between, you know, Central and Eastern European countries or Western European countries. And what Portugal or Spain has to do with, you know, Hungary or Slovakia uh, in terms of energy? Not much. Or, you know, Luxembourg and uh, uh, Republic of Ireland. So that was probably uh, one of, it has been one of the biggest challenges, you know, how to have a, a unified energy policy, external energy policy, but at the same time being so different. And do you, do you think that's changed now? Do you think this things have 
I'll just that's my question. Do you think things have changed? I think uh, it has changed uh, uh, largely in uh, Central Europe. Uh, if you look at the response to uh, the invasion of Ukraine, if you look at the policy shift in Germany, uh, if you look at uh, policy elsewhere, uh, I think that uh, uh, the, the more and more there is a realization that uh, uh, the, something should be done and uh, some, so, some, some sort of thorough thinking about uh, energy security as a strategy should be put forward because uh, it's simply unsustainable to become even more dependent. And of course, this is more like a, like a wake-up call, if you like, uh, because we already know that Europe has been too dependent on imports. But uh, has Europe been too... Europe has a... Maybe I'm asking you to differentiate there. Has, which countries have become too dependent on imports and why? Why? Right. Uh, so I think that uh, we're talking about uh, mainly probably Germany. Germany is uh, the largest uh, importer of natural gas uh, f from Russia in this particular context. And it's also uh, one of those countries that uh, uh, has prioritized uh, uh, security of supply based on cheap imports of gas from Russia. So Germany, for instance, is one of those countries that uh, hasn't diversified away from pipeline gas. Uh, um, they are yet to build a first uh, liquefied natural gas terminal, something which uh, has been uh, on the policy agenda in other countries uh, for, for quite some time. And if you look at Poland or Lithuania, uh, they, 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 they've done that. So I think that's uh, uh, this is uh, probably an important moment, and it already has happened. Uh, I mean, the shift in Germany is, is spectacular. We, um, we, I mean, if we had this conversation two years ago, uh, we wouldn't have guessed that this is going to happen. Yeah, and maybe that's the... This is the issue at us today, is that no one would have guessed this would have happened. And I, I guess we can't blame ourselves or other people that watch closely the, the situation and the relationships between Russia and the EU, EU countries. But now we find ourselves in this situation. And maybe I'm going to ask you a hard question that I don't have an answer for. But, you know, what are the options, like, for example, with Germany? I mean, there's this great fear, or the, I, I would say this general sense that we all, all the countries, and there's a call, of course, to get away from everything Russian. Mm. But... In, in a practical sense, how can this transition away mm. uh, happen or be sped up? Do you, do you have any ideas? I well, there is, as you said, uh, there is no single answer, but I think it's more about uh, realization that uh, dependence is not a good thing. So to be over-dependent is not a good thing. And we also realized that during the COVID pandemic, when we realized that, uh, you know, up to 75% of all manufactured products that surround us come from one country. I mean, is, you know, uh, putting all the political um, uh, issues aside, I mean, this is not sustainable because if something happens, uh, if supply chains are affected, this affects us all. Uh, so the same goes with, the, uh, with energy. So uh, to, to your question, I think um, in a long-term perspective, and short to mid to long term perspective, we will pr witness acceleration of uh, transition, energy transition. So it seems that uh, this is going to be the focus. Um, energy efficiency and uh, demand reduction, we already are witnessing it. And I think that this is, this is something which, uh, uh, if you look at Germany, the response of the German government, uh, 
ahead of the uh, of of uh, of first uh, of April uh, has been sort of preparing uh, citizens that you know that there might be uh, there might be some hard choices to make. But uh, short term, indeed, it's very difficult to 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 to. To do something about that, but I think nuclear energy is, is probably going to come back. Uh, if you look at the British government, what uh, the British government is saying, uh, it's clear that uh, uh, nuclear energy, particularly the smaller modular uh, nuclear reactors, are going to be the one of the responses to energy crisis. But we are likely to pay with the energy crisis in this short-term perspective, and our lives are already changed, and they are likely to be affected. As a, as a legal scholar, I'll call you a legal scholar. I'm not a legal scholar, I, but I, you can I, call I me. I like it, I like <laughs> it. Uh, what are the, uh, and this is where I'm, I want to look at EU, uh, we could say uh, directives or regulations, and maybe it gets too specific, but was there enough, and you know the different crisis caused by the, the I don't know, awareness that, that Russia could pose a problem, energy security problem, but... Um, what about what was done and was there a sufficient amount done within the EU legal framework for greater emphasis on energy security or security of supply? Uh, I think uh, quite a lot has been done uh, um, since 2011 um, and the third uh, energy package uh, created uh, um, uh, natural gas markets, sort of legally speaking, but what followed was also functional uh, uh, legal market, uh, f functional markets uh, in natural gas. So uh, we have witnessed new interconnections being uh, constructed. So we we are we live in a very different world now in Europe than uh, we uh, remember from 2000. So that's 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 a very positive development and also acceleration of uh, um, uh, uh, of renewable energies uh, has also. Uh, Improved uh, the you know standing energy security standing if you like of, of 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 European countries, but at the same time this success has also been a, in a sense a liability because you know the more uh, renewable energy you install the more backup you need the more backup you need well the more natural gas you're probably going to need you you don't want a backup in with coal or other uh, uh, dirty uh, sources of energy so so uh, in a sense uh, this also created. Um, uh, uh, new security of supply uh, exposures, if you like, and uh, and this is this is uh, where we stand now. So there's no one single solution. So this we we have just made a circle, and we're coming back to the initial points about energy security. It's about diversification, trying to diversify and uh, use as many uh, secure sources of supply as possible, not to put sort of all eggs into one basket. Do you think then the EU will be going forward, will be emphasizing this more, I don't want to say maybe energy union approach, or we could say that actually, energy union, I know that the term changed and originally that was from Donald Tusk, from mm. the being careful with Russia and then saying that we need to have joint purchase of gas mm. uh, as the EU whole, which now they're looking at for LNG. Mm. So do you think there's actually going to be, I'm formulating my question, uh, a more energy union approach going forward. I mean, this is quite interesting uh, that uh, this proposal was put forward uh, in the time of crisis to purchase uh, LNG uh, as a as a block of countries. And this, as you rightly pointed, is the idea that uh, uh, dates back to the energy union concept. Uh, 
Uh, now, the question is, uh, are, are all European member states going to uh, sign up to this deal? Uh, and this is the question, this is a big question, because, you know, certain countries do not want to, uh, you know, take sides, if you like. They do not want to sort of go into greater integration within the European Union. Are so, you referring to Hungary? Or? I mean, Hungary might be one of the examples. <laughs> okay, uh, but, but, uh, but other ones. There are, there are other yeah. ones as well. Okay. So, uh, and a lot will depend also on, on elections in France, you know, who is going to win in France and uh, other European elections coming up soon. So, uh, uh, unfortunately, again, the challenge here is uh, uh, energy security means probably something different in different capitals. Uh, and yes, there is more unity required, and we have seen this unity, but uh, how long this momentum uh, will keep going uh, is the question, you know. And uh, uh, I, I can't imagine that we, we can come back to business as usual. Uh, but uh, there is a possibility that not everyone uh, is going to sign up. And then the question is uh, about the future of, of, of the union itself, you know, with or without such members. Yeah, actually, that's my, my question to you then, because you, you touched on the, the politics of it and Macron in France is, and this maybe scares me to ask it even, because I was trying to discount it. But, you know, just yesterday now, Orban, actually, we shouldn't even talk about that just because Hungary is not a democracy. I'll just simply say that anyone that wins the entire country, it, it doesn't reflect a democratic system. So, okay, we'll put that one on the side. But, but politically speaking, though, the current crisis, energy prices going up for consumers, inflation for everybody, which also is fed in by higher energy prices, this really does change the political calculus and even the role of the, the European Union itself. And maybe I'm getting to territory, answer it or not answer it, but this is much more political though. What are the political ramifications of the current energy crisis then? Uh, well, uh, there are some, uh, some argue that uh, we might, uh, uh, we might, uh, uh, survive this crisis, but uh, the power of European Union, the soft power of European Union, is going to decline as the result. Uh, and uh, this is this is probably the best scenario for the European Union. So I think that politically speaking, we might uh, witness that. I mean, again, uh, what do you, what do you mean the soft power could de decline? Well, I think uh, that's uh, uh, I, I think that's. Uh, um, uh, it is going to have effects on economies of, um, of, of European countries. And uh, also, it may make European uh, Union less attractive in this sense as, as a you know, destination for investment. I mean, we shall see you know, how severe this is going to be. But, uh, and obviously, developments are uh, really fast. You know, it's almost impossible to keep pace with, with the news. Uh, you know, first we had this deadline uh, last week. Now we see uh, what's happening, what sort of ideas are uh, floating. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at this, this sort of nightmare scenario, then it, it is going to have, it is likely to have impact on, 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 on the European Union and its economy. And if that's the case, uh, well, this 
we may actually see uh, less of an influence of European Union. Mm -hmm. And do, do you think maybe that takes us naturally to the new program or the outline of what the EU is proposing to? What, what, what's it called? It's called EU, not Energy Union, Reunion or whatever? Renew? Renew? Oh, Renew. Yeah, right. that's what it is. Well, uh, I, I didn't have a chance to look up this okay. uh, in detail, so I, I would not I accidentally came that. across it. So I would not comment on that, uh, but uh, we see how things have changed uh, since uh, autumn last year. You know, we had uh, mm -hmm. quite a spectacular um, COP26 in, in, in Glasgow, and uh, we talked a very different language uh, yes. in autumn uh, 2021. And now... Uh, we live in a very different, in very different circumstances. So, uh, the question is: To what extent is this soft power of, of uh, European Union ability to sort of attract uh, um, uh, attention uh, is is going to sort of uh, how is it going to play out in the world of uh, confrontation between major powers? Oh, do you, but do you think some of this crisis, because this is what I'm working on, and I was working on this before Russia actually invaded Ukraine, but by then it kind of seemed like Russia had checked out of this whole energy market, single energy market, because they weren't supplying Europe with enough gas. And do you, maybe this is way too much speculation, but do you also think that maybe the EU overplayed its hand in requiring Russia to do certain things like uh, multiple suppliers into Nord Stream, that, that this whole issue of competition, if you want to participate in multiple suppliers, if you want to participate in our gas market in the EU, do you think the EU played their hand badly in this respect? Well, I mean, this is this this is uh, the whole concept of uh, level playing field and markets uh, uh, was very plausible because um, that's what we want as consumers. Ultimately, we would like to have uh, competition because there is more, if there is more competition, then by definition we get a better deal. Uh, but uh, the the challenge, and again, we're coming back to the initial point we made about energy security. The challenge is uh, about uh, lack of uh, enough alternative suppliers. So what uh, uh, should have been done uh, was to encourage more supplies, alternative supplies, to increase uh, diversity of, sub of supplies into European Union. Then you really have liquidity, then you really have diversity of supplies. But if you rely mainly on, you know, on one slash two suppliers, or you know, in case of natural gas, three if you like, but still, this is a very small number of suppliers. So can you really create competition between, uh, between those uh, suppliers? I mean, they supply, by the way, from, from, uh, from different directions. Uh, and uh, ultimately, you know, it, it's, it's more theoretical to expect, uh, you know, for, for, let's say, for Gazprom to share uh, the uh, export capacity uh, pipeline with, with someone else. I mean, what if someone else doesn't need it? Because there's no s such thing as someone else. And this is what we have witnessed. So, uh, so there is theory and practice of uh, energy policy, uh, uh, but ultimately uh, in diversity uh, is energy security. So, so they, we do need alternatives. But I like this theory and practice. Uh, but was this because now we there is no competitive market, there's no competitive gas market, and then okay, we won't go into electricity, but certainly it's tied to the gas price as well. 
Um, but in the gas market in the EU, I mean, was this all just a theoretical exercise where, and it was a trading commodities type of market that wasn't actually similar to like the oil market or other commodities mm. market? Mm. Well, I think uh, it was it was mentioned in an article I was reading yesterday. Uh, if you take Russia as the world's biggest exporter of natural gas and the third largest oil exporter, it's really difficult to imagine sort of uh, wiping out uh, uh, Russia from this equation. So, so I think that uh, this uh, kind of uh, well puts uh, everyone at risk. Put it mildly. So they, they were playing the balancing role or price uh, a key price setting role in in the gas yes, market. Yes, yes, uh -huh. definitely. Yeah, and I guess maybe let's be visionary. Okay, let's be visionary. And how can a new energy energy union be developed as a response? Maybe this kind of. How, how can, because, you know, we're looking at maybe the next few months, of course, the next year, gas being very tight, but then the expectation is that some solutions will be able to be rolled out quickly, and over the next three to five years, the EU as a whole balances out. Do you think just the emphasis will be much more on European self-sufficiency rather than imports, like in the history of, of, the, of Europe, or will there be key trading partners that they will kind of team up with to ensure uh, gas or whatever types of energy resources come into the European Union? Uh, well, uh, we can, I would say nothing can be ruled out. And this is something we have learned in the past uh, couple of years or few years now. We have seen uh, unprecedented uh, circumstances from one crisis to another. Uh, so nothing can be ruled out. But at the same time, I think we also observed uh, uh, the policy shift um, and there's a possibility. It, it's not impossible to, to imagine uh, that uh, European countries will become uh, more focused on the task, on the on on a, you know on the, on the, on on objective of uh, you know purchasing together. So LNG is likely to become important, at least for some nations, and I think for Germany as well. Uh, is it going to? Does it mean that uh, you know uh, supplies from Russia are not going to be there? Uh, it's it, it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, it's. From what I understand, it's still unclear uh, what is the position in France, uh, uh, and uh, we shall see. Uh, but this, the result, is likely to be uh, more focused on LNG in the short-term perspective. But in the long-term perspective, uh, this is likely to be a union uh, of uh, more nuclear energy. So we're coming uh, back to the pretty much the origins uh, uh, and, uh, and and acceleration of renewable energy, it seems to me. But now the question is how costly is this going to be and whether uh, this will be at the cost of other sort of things that we enjoyed and uh, have taken for granted. And I think that it is likely to be the case if you look at the costs of uh, of, of commodities, if you look at uh, the cost of uh, raw materials, they are going up. Uh, so uh, we will probably need to change and adjust to new realities. This is what 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 what, what, 
I, I, it seems to be uh, the case. So I do not have a crystal ball to tell you what will happen, uh, but uh, we uh, are witnessing sort of accelerated move to more diversity in a short-term perspective. And in long-term perspective, some key decisions about you know what to do 10 years from now. Uh, and it seems that uh, there is a great uh, nuclear revival, and that would also uh, work hand in hand with, uh, you know, transition to uh, electric mobility, for instance, which we mm -hmm. talk so often about. Yes. Okay, Sam. Thank you. Now we gotta get to your class. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, welcome again. And uh, it was good to be on your show. Perfect, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank right. you. Good. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. <laughs>